Abundance of love Abundance of grace Down to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Jeremiah 29 10, the Bible says this For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, God Wants to Bring You Back to a Place of Blessing. Before I even pray, I want you to think about that title again. God wants to bring you back to a place of blessing. Can you believe that? Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for each person who's come out today. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us a divine ability to hear beyond our ears. God, I pray that you would give us spiritual ears to hear what you're saying. Father, I ask that you'd anoint my mouth and my mind to say only the things that would honor you. God, speak to us. Fill us with hope, God. I pray that your word would come forth today with boldness and power, God. I pray, Lord, that you would touch every hurting heart in this place. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us today by this taught word in Jesus' name. Amen. God wants to bring you back to a place of blessing. I said that a couple of times before I prayed because if you ask people, do you want to be blessed? Right in their head, people would say, yes, we want to be blessed. I got good news for you today. Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the keys to everything. See, when your kids get a little older, they want the keys to the what? They want the keys to the car. And if you're a good parent, you tell them what? Thank you. Uh, uh, When they get get older, see, my kids have wanted keys to a bunch of stuff because they, they grew up with a bunch of stuff. My kids couldn't wait until they, they felt like they were big enough and they were just tiny when I had one that I don't have now, uh, a golf cart. Oh, my kids wanted to grab the keys to the golf cart and go drive the golf cart. Then they wanted to drive the jet ski. Now, now, they, now they think they're ready because when they were three years old, they drove a golf cart that they can drive a car. And they want the keys. And I'm holding back on that stuff. I'm not really ready to give all my children keys to anything with a motor in it, all right? But God says that he wants to give his children everything. You need to understand, if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe in this God of the Bible at all, then you have to believe that he's large and in charge and he owns everything. And that we are his children and he wants to bless us with everything. See, me personally, my story, I didn't come from the right side of the tracks. I didn't come. I wasn't born to a senator's son. I wasn't born to a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. I was raised in dysfunction and craziness. My, my mother was a, a single mother a lot of times, then, you know, married a crazy man, had an abusive stepfather in and out of jail. I can remember a time where my mom was working 11 
at night to 7 in the morning. That means she went into work at 10 and didn't get home till after 8. Now, if you got an off-the-chain teenager at home that ain't right in the head to begin with, you got to know when nobody's watching them from 10 at night to 8 in the morning, crazy stuff's going to happen. Listen, I didn't come from a home of wealth and privilege, so I don't have that entitlement mindset that so many people in this younger generation have, even though they didn't either. But I know that even though in the natural I wasn't born to wealth and privilege, in the spirit realm, my father has everything. You got to get in your mind that if you call yourself a Christian, you are a child of God. The Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to what that means. You don't become a child of God because you're a good person. You become a child of God by believing in Jesus. You don't become a child of God by agreeing with me on theology, eschatology, soteriology, tongues, healing, or what the Bible says. You become a Christian not by giving money to the church or by doing more right than you do wrong. You become a Christian based on what you believe in. This is a by faith religion. Say by faith. So if you believe in God, the Bible says you're a child of God. I want you to know it's a good thing to have a rich daddy. It's a good thing to have a daddy that loves you and wants to bless you. The thought that God wants to bring you back to a place of blessing is even bigger than what you want. I hear people tell me all the time, Pastor Scott, I just wish I could get back to where I used to be with God. I just wish I could get back to where I was when I first got saved. Because if you ever really got saved, there was a time in your life when everything was beautiful. There was a time in your life where you were excited about God. The, 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 the birds sang louder. The sky was bluer. Everything was greater. And, and you were just thrilled. The Bible calls that first love. The, you, you were in that honeymoon stage with God. And you just, I've had so many people tell me, Pastor Scott, I just wish I could get back to that place. I want you to know not only can you get back to that place, but God wants to grow you beyond that place to a place of blessing and maturity. Can anybody agree with that? Wanting to be there for yourself is one thing, but to realize that God wants you to be there, that's an even better thing because we want what God wants. But here's what I see. We live in a time where there are more hurting people than I've ever seen before. It is incredible, and this is why I tell you, when you come to church, you need to smile at somebody. When you come to church, you need to shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, chest bump, fist pound, do something to let somebody know hey, here, I'll say it the way teenagers say, I see you. I see you, kid. I see you. You need to let somebody know that they are seen and that they are recognized and that they're cared about. Why? You don't know the hell they've been going through all week long. You don't know how, how soon the car, you don't know how many different garages they're parking that car in during the week so the repo man can't find it. I told you all about my one friend. I don't know how this boy became my friend or how he ever passed the driver's license test. He obviously didn't understand how the repo man worked. He told me, Pastor Scott, every night when I park my car in my driveway, I take the battery out and I take it in the house with me. Repo man ain't driving off with my car. That battery ain't going to stop him from dragging it off. Hooking up and rolling out. You don't know how close to someone is. Listen, we have had people literally. Now, preachers lie as much as anybody, sometimes more because they talk a lot. Um, 
I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth right now. We have had people come to this church with suicide notes on them to come back in my office and lay that down on my desk and say, I'd already planned it out. I was coming to church one last time. I have the pills in my bathroom I was going to take when I got home, but somebody in this church hugged my neck today, and it made me feel like I could face one more day. You don't know. See, you think you're going through some stuff, and you probably are. If you're not going through some stuff, live a while. I mean, there's only really three stages of life. Either, either you're going through something right now, or you're just coming out of something, or you're about ready to get to go into something. But the Bible says that God is with you always. So whether you're up, down, in, out, over, or under, God is with you. But there's so many people that are hurting in this generation. 53 years I've been on this planet. I've never seen the pain, the, the struggle. You, you would think that life should be progressing. We've got more technology now than we've ever had. We've got more, more stuff than we've ever had, and people are more miserable than they've ever been. We, we have got so many conveniences in life, but people are struggling so hard. People have been hurt people have been disappointed people have been let down by mother by father by brother uh, directly or indirectly by people that they love and sometimes even inside the church there is a whole group of people in the world who are out there right now that'll tell you i don't trust church well why not well i was and they tell the story and somebody in church did them wrong and they can they can no longer believe that there's any good people in church, and there's too many what's in church. Hypocrites. And I tell them the same thing. Well, you go to Publix, don't you? Well, I'm never going back to church, too many hypocrites. Well, you go to Winn-Dixie, there's hypocrites in Winn-Dixie. You, you go to the bathroom and look in the mirror, there's a hypocrite in that mirror. The Bible says we're all hypocrites. At some level, we all say one thing and do a different thing. At some level, we none of us live up to the highest standard that we profess. So listen, don't, there, there's, this, there's this realm of people out there. Because when I was coming up in Bible college 35 years ago, they talked to us about two different groups of people, and only two gr groups of people. They talked about the saved and the unsaved. They classed them in different ways. They called them saved, unsaved, born again, not born again, Christian, non-Christian, churched, unchurched. But now there is a third group that is rivaling for the majority of the people in this country, and it's called the de-churched. This is not really unchurched people because these people grew up in church. These are people that used to be in church every time the doors are open and know more about the Bible than we do. These are people who, who used to teach, preach, deek, ush, serve, work in the nursery, sing in the choir, gifted by God, know God, love God. They're just not going to church. Why? Because they let the enemy convince them that the church hurt them. They let the enemy convince them that the church let them down. But I want to let you know that it is impossible for the church to hurt you. Because the church is the bride of Christ, which the Bible says is perfect and spotless before God. I hear so many people say, well, God's perfecting his church. He's cleaning up his church because he's coming back for a bride without spot or without wrinkle. We need to understand theologically God already sees the church as perfect. 
God already sees you as delivered. He's not waiting on you to get clean enough so he can take you to heaven. The church is already there. It's not that the church has disappointed us. It's people inside the church disappointed us. It, and, and, and I get it because, I mean, man, my back is like a pincushion. Anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody been stabbed in the back? I mean, I, I know what it's like. I've, even before I could have a thousand pinholes in my back and knife wounds in my back from friends who stabbed me in the back, I read the scripture. What did King David say? If it had been a stranger that did it to me, I could have taken it. But it was my own friend. It was somebody I took counsel with. We went to church together. Boy, you did me like that. And it just blew him back. But then he learned, hey, if everybody leaves me, if mom and daddy forsake me, God's still going to be on my side and I'm going to get through because I'm going to hold on to God. So I've had to learn. Uh, you know, I, I, I like people, some of them, amen, hallelujah. Let's be honest. Hey, man, hey, you get, I, whatever that dude's name was, Will Rogers, Bill Clinton, whoever, I don't know. Uh, some guy said, I never met a man. I didn't like. I'm thinking, you didn't spend no time in Jacksonville, did you? <laughs> you, you? You ain't never been to Pennsylvania. I, you, you didn't make no trips through New Jersey. I mean, I don't know what part of the country you lived in with only family. But people, listen to me, people will disappoint you. People that you trust in will stab you in the back. People that sit next to you in church and say, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Cry crocodile tears and call you and ask you why you weren't in church. With that, here, here's, here's, the, here's the fakest line ever from, from church folk. Oh, we missed you in church last Sunday. Y'all know what that means? I was there and you wasn't. What you think about that? We missed you in church. Come on now. Listen. People are going to let you down. You need to make sure, hey, it's cool to love people. You need to love people. But you need to realize, push come to shove, the only one you better trust doing any pushing and shoving is God because God is not going to let you down. We live in a world of hurt people. We live in a world of abuse. We live in a world of neglect. We live in a world of dysfunction. We live in a day and a time where people have just been jammed up by every different thing imaginable, and a lot of those people, are listening to the wrong voices in their head and believing that God has let them down. I want to tell you this. I don't need to know your personal story. I can tell you for sure God has not let you down. People will let you down. But God is always the same. I've told you many times that there's been different strategies used by the devil throughout the ages. From, from, from the beginning of time. And it's always involved bondage. Say bondage. Thousands of years ago... The Egyptian pharaohs enslaved the people of God to forced labor. Well, we, we're not slaves in chains today doing forced labor, but the enemy still wants to bind us. The enemy still wants to keep us on bondage, lockdown, because the Bible says that the Son comes to set you free, and you'll be free indeed. Now, if God wants to free you, and God is a creator and the devil is an imitator, what God wants to do right, the devil wants to turn upside down. So God is about freeing you. And the devil is about binding you. God wants you to be free. The devil wants you to be bound. And he's used lots of strategies over the centuries in different generations to put people into bondage. 
we, we, we've seen them even in our own lifetime. When I was coming up, when I was first born in the 60s, America was going through uh, a crazy time of rebellion, anarchy, Woodstock, sex, drugs, and what? There, see, it's so commonplace. We know our Americana history, but that was real. Kids were going off the rails, treating their parents different. The enemy was using as a strategy to get people away from God, sex, drugs, rock and roll in, in the 60s. Then in the 70s, I, I don't know how he was successful, but he used disco. <laughs> now, some of y'all still got that suit. Listen, if your inner collar laps down over your outer collar and it's three times bigger than your lapel, you had a style, doc. You're like, I'm bringing it back. If bell bottoms can come back, anything can come back. Leisure suits, I still see it today. One of the things funny to me about social media is how people can pick a profile picture that's the worst picture they have. Look through your pictures on your Facebook. Pick one that you think looks okay and then ask somebody. I see pictures of, like, guys my age and older putting a picture from 30 years ago when they had hair, big collar, hair unbuttoned down to here, three hair, chest hairs, and, and nine necklaces. I'm like, bruh, you grandfather. That look went out in the, in the 70s. The disco duck era took, took that out. But it, 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 was, it, was a, it was a time in American history where the devil tried to convince white people to take a dance and just stay out on the dance floor and just get bit. And it just, what did it do? It kept folk out of church. Well, listen, you may be the rare breed that can dance all night long and still get here on time for service. But I don't believe that it, 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 it gets your mind prepared for church on Sunday morning to be out all night. Now, 80s come the me generation, hip-hop, vamps, gothics, emo, weirdo, screamo, crazo, just any kind of strategy that the devil can use to push people, push people, push people further and further away. And I've told you before that the strategy that he is currently using that is being effective to bring people into bondage is the mental arena. The mind is under attack. The mind is under attack. People are being just bound in their mind with wrong thinking, bound in their mind with fear, bound in their mind with, with thoughts that are not God's thoughts. Whether it was what other people said to you that locked in, listen, that's why it's so important that you speak kindly to people, especially to kids. That's why, I, because that stuff locks in. I've heard people say that, uh, Verbal abuse hurts worse than physical abuse. Well, you ain't never been beat by my stepfather. You change that lie straight up. You'd be like, uh, could you cuss at me? Because uh, you get punched in the face, held on a wall, uh, off, no feet dangling until you choke out. You'd be like, I'd just rather you scream at me. Listen, whether it's verbal abuse, mental abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, we live in an, inside a world where most people have suffered some type of an abuse. And that's, that's horrible. I told you statistics say that one out of every three women in America 
will be touched improperly or molested by a relative or someone close to them before they turn 17 years old in this country. That's one out of three. Now, experts say they believe at least one of the two. So that's two saying it didn't happen to me. They believe at least one of those two are covering up because they don't want to talk about it. So now you got two out of three and maybe three out of three. We live in a world filled with abuse. Why? Because the devil wants to lock you down. The devil wants your mind to be upset and unraveled. See, the Bible says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Anything that makes you feel less than powerful is an attack from the devil. Any, God, hasn't, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power, of love. Anything that causes you hate, anything that causes you to not like somebody else, anything that causes you to be mad, bitter, unforgiving, that's the enemy's strategy. That's not God. Power, love, and what? Sound mind. Anything that wrestles for your sanity, anything that keeps you anxious, anything that keeps you nervous, anything that causes you to make you want to take pills to regulate you. I'm not saying some people don't need them. I understand that. Get with your doctor. But I'm telling you, the enemy is battling for your mind and your sanity. That's why in the old church we used to say stuff like, I just thank God that I'm fully clothed and in my right mind. Because we understood that. That was a blessing. That was a plus, because you get to be my age, you've seen some people slip. Well, what happened to old deacon so-and-so? Snap. <laughs> well, need no further discussion, do we, Miss Irene? We know it's snap. Well, that just entails all of it. And so there, there it goes. Listen, don't snap. Look at somebody and say, don't snap. Keep your mind together. Don't let the enemy crush your mind with with. We're taking away your power, your love, and your soundness of mind. In Jeremiah 29, back to our text, uh, in, in chapter 29, God has inspired Jeremiah to write a letter to God's people. And these people are living in captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has stolen these people away from Jerusalem, over 3,000 of them, and he has put them in slavery in a place they don't belong living a life that they don't belong, going through stuff that they ain't supposed to be going through. And I want to tell you stuff. There are people in this room right now who are in a place that they don't belong. They're living a life that they don't belong. And you're going through stuff that God never intended for you to go through. So this word is relevant, even though it was written thousands of years ago, even though it was talking to people. This is about 600 years before Christ. So this is over 2,600 years ago that these people were, were drugged into this life of bondage. But I, I know that we've got people even today in 2016 who are, who are dealing with all different types of bondage. I believe there are people in this room. They want to be close to God, but don't feel like they can find their way back to him. If we had enough time and enough honesty in this room today, and we really just could get open, that's why you ought to come back on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night when we just sit down and talk and people start crying and opening up about their hurts and what they're going through, and then you could might realize, wow, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that's been raped. I'm not the only one that's been molested. I'm not the only one that's been abused. I'm not the only one, listen, that's committed murder and did time and got out for it. I'm not the only one who, who's got too many felons on my record that I can't get a real job. I'm not the only one working under the table. I'm not the only one struggling. And then you can say, wow, if they could make it, I can make it. And you need to get it. If they could make it, I could make it mindset. 
because you can hold on to that and, and let God give you strength through it. But there are people that want to be closer to God. They can't find their way back to Him. God wants to bring you back. And if God brings you back, it's less work than you bringing you back. I counsel people all the time, and, and I, I, I see the pain in their eyes. I hear the struggle in their voice. They want to break free from their addiction. They want to get out of the junk that they're in. They've tried every way they know to get back on track, and they keep hitting potholes. Listen, if you stop trying to get yourself back and let God get you back, you're going to find out God can do what we can't do. God wants to bring you back. To a place of blessing. I want to give you three simple strategies this morning that not only can get your life back, but give you a better life than you ever imagined possible. See, the average person in this room right now, this is the truth, the average person in this room right now would settle if they could just get back to the best time in their life. What if you could just get back to the best time in your life? Most people would be like, man, I just wish, I wish life was the way it was back then. I had to fight that all the time. Ten years ago, I buried my wife, mother of my two small children. Life was different then. You remember, Deacon Jimmy, Nancy, you remember the church? I mean, we were, everything was happy, everything was flowing, everything was perfect. We didn't have this, we were all young. We were playing softball. I'm playing softball. Me and Deacon Jimmy competing in home run contests. I mean, we, life was different back then and the average person if they would think in their mind oh if I could just get it back to where I was listen you can't get back to where you were but if you will let God carry you he can take you to someplace better and you need to begin to believe that today God can take you somewhere better than you've ever been I'm gonna say it to you again because faith comes by hearing God can take you to someplace better than you've ever been. People want to get back to before. Women in their mind, they want, if I could get back, if, if I could just, if I get back the joy I had before my abuse, if I could get back the joy I had before my break, if I could get back before. Listen, God has something else for you. Or you, you say, how can you know that, preacher? You're just selling me false hope. I don't sell false hope. Listen to my tapes. I'm a realist. I, I, I tell it how it is. is. I'm not selling you false hope. How can I know God has something for you? The fact that you are still here today is proof of that. You could have been took out and gone. God, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't do random. God, God doesn't do coincidence. You're here, and you're here for a purpose. And I want to talk to you about these three strategies this morning that can get you a better life than you've ever had. Not just as good as it was when it was good, but a better life than you've ever imagined. Let's look at our text and just do some Bible study this morning. In Jeremiah 29, 10, the scripture says, for thus says the Lord. Oh, that's a good place to start. That's always a good place to start, what God says. Say what God says. This is the best place to start is when you're talking about what God says. Because in my house, Father always knows best. And, and, and my kids, they can say, the neighbor said, Aunt Dina said, Nana and Papa said, the governor said, Hillary said, Trump said, the news said. All that carries a certain amount of weight. But when they say, Dad said, now it's time to stand up and get moving. It's the right place to start when you're talking about with what God 
says. Jeremiah tells them. This is what the Lord says. Now remember, he's writing to hurting people. He's writing to people in bondage. He's writing to people who are stuck in a place they don't want to be and they desperately want out of it. They are eating food they weren't built to eat. They're living a life they weren't built to live. They're oppressed by a group of people that they hate and that hate them. And they want out. And Jeremiah is telling them, look, this is what the Lord says. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. I'll talk to you for a real brief second about perspective. Say perspective. If you're in prison and the person in charge comes and tells you, hey, look, got some news for you. We're going to get you out of this place. Does that sound like good news or bad news? That's good news, getting out of prison. Now, if the same person comes to tell you the same thing, got news for you. You're getting out of this place in 70 years. Is that good news or bad news for you? <laughs> There's some perspective for you. Now, if you thought you were going to die there and you were never going to see yours again, then, then that, that's one thing. How, how, many, how many years you do in Army? 30, 31, 29? 30. That's a long time. That, that, that's, that's a long time to be on one job, but you went through it. And in many ways, it's like, wow, it didn't, didn't, didn't it, sometimes it seems like I'm never going to get on the other side of this. And in other times, it seemed like, man, it just went by. And I can remember yesterday being in basic training. I can remember yesterday being on my first duty assignment. Life is so much about perspective. I want you to answer a real question this morning. Do you see your life as good or bad? Do you see your condition as moving in the right direction? Do you see that God is, is your help, or do you feel all alone? See, because people answer that based on their perspective. Jacob and I were talking the other day, and he said, Dad, we, people could hear our story and think that we're really blessed or hear our story and be sad for us, couldn't they? I said, absolutely. It's all about the way you tell it. But it's really more about the way you feel it. These, Jeremiah, told, Jeremiah trying to bring encouragement, let these people know what the Lord says. He said, yeah, um, God's going to visit y'all. And he's going to perform his good word towards y'all. And he's going to cause you to return to this place. If he would have left out those three words, they'd be partying in prison in Babylon. They've still been slaves. They'd have still been in bondage. They'd have still been, you know, they still had a Babylonian foot on their neck. But they'd have been like, woo, it's almost over. It's almost over. It's almost If he wouldn't have gave them a time frame. See, he gave them a time frame, and it wasn't a time frame they wanted. Everyone I've ever talked to about crisis or struggle has always had the same heart. I just want to know when this is going to be over. You might not. <laughs> What if it's another 70 years? What if it's another seven years? What if it's another seven weeks? See, there's value in not knowing your time frame. You don't know how long you're going to be stuck in what you're stuck in, but you got to get it in your mind that God knows better than you. God said, I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to cause you to return to this place. He's talking about Jerusalem. See, Babylon represents captivity. Babylon re represents struggle. Bondage, evil, hatred, dysfunction. Jerusalem represents closeness to God, peace, and all blessing. These people were into dysfunction. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you back to a place of correct blessing.
But it's going to take a while. It's going to take some time. Say time. This is where people want to fall off the stage. But I'm going to give you three things, three strategies to help you deal with this time. In verse 11, he said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He hit them with something that like 70 years? What? I got to keep going through this? Because, see, everybody wants to believe that, you know, they're going to wake up tomorrow and life's going to be perfect. I, I, I want to prophesy to you. Life ain't going to be perfect tomorrow. But if you learn to lean on the Lord and you learn how to walk in these three strategies, your life can be better. And we need to hear the word of the Lord. He, God said, for I know the thoughts that I think. Here's three strategies. How many? Say three. I'm going to give you the first one. Number one, know what God knows about you. You need to know what God knows about you. Because the devil wants you caught up in what people think about you. You're not hearing me. It is devastating to live in a mindset of worry about what people think about you. Am I too fat? Am I too skinny? Am I too short? Am I too tall? Do I look right? Is my breath right? It is a, do they know? Do they not know? Listen, you need to concentrate not on what others think about you, but what God knows about you. And these are strategies that we're going to need to employ every day for the rest of our life. Now, I want to ask you a question before I finish with this. Do you know anyone who knows everything in the whole world other than God? No, that person doesn't exist. Of all the world's knowledge, how much would you say a really smart person knows? 50%? 25%? Not a speck. If, if, if I could draw a big giant circle that was the whole world, all the knowledge in it, I mean, we can just start with these countries we do mission work in. Do you know the name of every village in the Philippines? No. Do you know the name of every person in the phone book in the Philippines? No. If I drew a giant circle on here and that represent the world and all the knowledge that was in it, and I shaded in all of the information that I knew comparative to all the world's information, I put a little tiny dot and then erase half of it. And that's how much I know. And I got more degrees on my wall than a thermometer. Listen, it, you, we don't know everything. Can we agree about that? So we got to get to the place where we understand we don't know everything. And if we don't know everything, then the possibility exists that God knows some stuff we don't know. God knows more than we know. And we've got to begin to know what God knows about you. You know what you think about yourself. And for some people, it's too much. So let me be the voice of logic. You ain't all that. I say, we used to say it in the street. You want to impress me? Fly. <laughs> well, then you ain't Superman. Okay. Some people need to get their, their mindset dialed down a notch. But for most people, they've been lied on. They've been told they weren't as good as they are. They've been told they'd never amount to anything. They've been told that they were stupid. They've been told that they were worthless. They've been told that nobody would ever love them. They've been told that they didn't have value. 
and it's impacted the way they see themselves. And I want you to know what God knows about you. And here, here's what the scripture says. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. You think you can look at me and know me? I've had people come on my Facebook and attack me from every level in the world. Look at me on Facebook. Read a Bible verse that I post and say, all you racist redneck crackers feel the same way about black people. And I'm thinking, well, you sure ain't been to my house lately. You don't hang out where I hang out and know who I know. People look at you and think they can know you. You don't know somebody just by looking at them. You look at somebody and they're dressed a certain way and you make assessment about them. They might have stole them clothes. They might have bought them clothes with drug money. Oh, wow, they must be successful. Oh, wow, you see, that they must be doing well. They might be running from the law. They might be here on hideout. You look at somebody else and, and they, 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 they dressed on the other end of the scale. And you make an assessment about them as if they're less than you are. Listen, we need to know what God knows. And the Bible says people look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. You need to know what God knows about your heart. Now, that's a two-edged sword. I mean, if you're, if you're scheming and shady, if you ain't no good down to your bones, but you can fake it real good, if you just got a good hustle on a grind and everybody thinks that you're better than you are, that's a scary piece of information to know that God knows you're, that, that you're a fake. But for most of us, it's good news to know other people may see me like this, but I know what God knows about me. I know what God knows about me. The verse starts off by saying, for I know. And I want you to know what God knows about you. You got to hear it in the right tone. God knows you're a sinner. Well, who is he to say that about me? Well, A, he's God, and B, he's just honest. You say, well, how is that good news that God knows that you're a sinner? Listen, if we all knew that everybody around us was sinners, we quit getting disappointed. We would quit getting disappointed. My children have grown up in this church, and they have seen people lie on their father. They've seen people lie on people inside this church, lie on their aunt, lie on the best people we know, leave, get mad. Hey, they're going to leave the place they, they go to next. They just have, that's just what people do. And I had my kids when they were younger say, well, I know so-and-so will always be here. I'm like, we can't say that about anybody but the Lord. Why? Because all people are sinners. You say, well, how does that bless me? How does that help me? Listen, God knows you're a sinner and he loves you anyhow. God decided to love you. God ain't loving us the way people love us. We love people based on how they treat us or whether we think we should love them. God made a choice to love human beings even though he knew human beings were jacked up. Let me tell you something today. God knows every vile and wicked thing you've ever done or you're ever going to do, and he still loves you just as much as he ever loved you and he's ever going to love anybody in the world. He knows that we're sinners, but he loves us anyway. The Bible says that he sent Jesus to the cross while we were still sinning. God's not waiting on you to clean up your act to start loving you. God loved us from day one. Worried people are going to find out you're a sinner. Worried people are going to find out, what if they knew such and such? What if they knew so and so? Listen, God already knows that and he loves you anyway. I tell you like I tell the haters, you can't take my birthday away from me. 
There's so much you can do to me. You can hate me all you want to. You can't take my birthday away from me. And you can't stop God from loving me. I know about me what God knows about me. I am messed up. I am a sinner. I am somebody who does not have it all together yet and still in spite of all that on top of it, underneath it, and behind it. God loves me anyhow. Know about me whatever you want to know about me. Snoop around. Fact check. WikiLeak. Do whatever you want to do. I know what God knows about me. God loves me. He knows that we're all sinners, but he he loves us. Listen, he knows you're going to fail. Hear me. Again. See, all of us, this is the mindset of every saved real Christian in the room. I hope that my worst dirt is behind me. Anybody? That's just me? Okay, I thank God for three people in the room that's honest. The rest of y'all go on and live into your dirt. I hope that my worst dirt is behind me. But what if it's not? Is that going to make God stop loving me? Not according to this Bible. God knows that we are all going to fail again. And he's still going to love us anyhow. Hey, get some air on in this room, man. People fanning and sweating. Um, Knowing that we're sinful, loving us anyhow. I want you to hear what God said through the same prophet Jeremiah in chapter 3, verse 14. He said, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. We got that, here we go. Return, O back. God is writing to his children. He says, return, you good, decent, honest, never messing up, perfect, wonderful little children. Not what he said. He said, return, you backsliding children. Why? Because I'm married to you. Lockdown. Covenant. Stuck. It doesn't matter how bad you blow it. See, people will write you off. Especially church folk. Can you believe he said so-and-so? I would never go to his church. You imagine how hot it'd be right now if there more people in here breathing up our air conditioning? Thank God they stayed home. Hallelujah. Listen. Tell them, we need extra seats for visitors. Go on, kid. Quit if you want to. People are talking about, I heard he did. I heard she did. I heard they did. Well, did you hear you a gossip and a hater? Don't take nothing special to be a hater. Haterade is free. God said, return to me backsliders. Why? Because I'm married to you. Now, marriage got a whole different connotation to Americans. And there are reasons to get divorced according to the Bible. They're read. The Bible says if they cheat on you and you can't work it out with them, leave them. The Bible says if they leave you and won't come back, let them go. All right? Adultery and abandonment. Long-standing condition Jesus gave for why marriages should come to an end. But God said in his mind, it's forever. His covenant to us is forever. He is married. Listen, mom and them might throw you out. I've already told my kids, I'm I'm one of them parents that will let you. Trust, I don't play that. You know, when you're grown enough to stop respecting me, when you're grown enough to look me in my face and tell me no, it's time for you to go. No and go run together in my world. But God is not like that. 
you ought to thank God that he is nicer than your pastor. Somebody ought to say amen right there. You ought to thank God he is more benevolent and kind and long-suffering because God says you, you can come back no matter how far you slid away. God wants you to come back. Say come back. God ain't giving up on his. He said he's married to it, and God don't quit his covenant. Not only should you know what God knows about you, but you should think what God thinks about you. He says in, in, in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You need to think what God thinks about you. Put that on the screen for me, Mike. Dig it, Mike. Think what God thinks about you. You've got a personal assessment right now. Your personal assessment is probably false. You probably overestimate or underestimate your own ability. You probably, listen, especially men, I don't know, I want to come over on this side because I'm talking about Deacon Jimmy and I don't want him to know it. <laughs> Wave at everybody, Deacon Jimmy. Now his wife, who loves him more than cornbread, could tell you a million great things about him. And she may not want to verbalize to the whole church that his estimation of his athletic prowess has is, 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 is not always been on par with the ra rational thing. See, Deacon Jimmy's been an athlete his whole life, played his whole life. But listen, time don't lose. Huh? You're I know you're fighting it, brother. You keep going. You keep fighting it. One day, I can remember almost a decade, it probably was 10 years ago, where Nancy said, one day he's going to give up on softball and stay at home at night. <laughs> that, huh? Hasn't happened yet. Hey, it, it, I think it's on the verge right now. He's talking about his aching body the other night after that tournament. But listen, people have thoughts. And men, we typically think that we're still here when we're here. That's the crazy thing about men. All right? Well, now... I like what one of Jake's favorite comedians said. Uh, this comedian said, I'm between 5'8 and 6'2, depending on what convenience store I'm, I'm walking out of, says. <laughs> I stop by them things, and I'd be like, how tall am I? 6'1? <laughs> yeah, I hope they come looking for old dude, a six foot one old dude. The, uh, I, I, I take my shoes off and, 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 and bend over. But men typically tend to think that they're more than they really are. They, they, we, that, that's why a guy my age, you're like, prime of my life. Guys still think that they're all that in a bag of chips, and, and they can look at their wife, gain a few pounds, and like, you better tighten up, I'm going to trade you in. <laughs> See, men, it doesn't really matter. We lose our hair, we get fat, we throw some wrinkles on. It's like, pfft, but I still got sway. <laughs> Am I right, guys? Sway got no age group. So men tend to overvalue. Short, ugly, bald-headed, fat dude. Smoking hot wife. Because in his mind, he's rolling. In his mind, he's like, she lucky. She lucky to be with me because, you know, I had to leave three people just to get with her. A woman can be just bang, all that, a 10, 
She put on a pound and a half, find a crease from where the sheet creased her face at night that ain't even a real wrinkle. Hide the antidepressant medication. I'm just fat and I'm ugly. Who would want to be with somebody as fat and ugly as me? Perspective. Man, you got to think what God thinks about you. Stop seeing yourself as over. Stop seeing yourself as under. And read the Bible and find out what God thinks about you. I'm going to give you a few things this morning to kickstart you. First thing we got to realize is God thinks differently. Say differently. Isaiah 55 and 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What God's saying? You ain't always going to be able to figure things out. God thinks on a different level. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. His ways are bigger than our ways. And you can't always use rational thinking to figure God out. You say, well, can you give me an example? I'll give you a great example of how you, I know that you can't always use rational thinking to explain God. Here it is. He still loves you. He still wants to bless you. That make no sense at all. I'll give you a big one. He still loves me. He still wants to bless me. That doesn't make any sense at all. But we have got to learn how to think what God thinks about us. In Psalm 139, 17, the psalmist said, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. This needs to be your mindset when I wake up. So you might go to bed with the weight of the world on your shoulders. You might be living through the hardest time in your life. You might be going through hell by the acre. I, I like what that one lady said on that movie, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes, Steel Magnolia, one of them country movies. So this old crazy lady called her friend depressed. She said, I'm not depressed. I've just been in a very bad mood for the last 20 years. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the song to that sitcom Friends. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your what? Your year, you might be going through a bad stretch, but no matter how bad the stretch you're going through, if you can realize God is still with me, that ought to change. See, we got to change. We got to rewire. We got to reprogram the way we think. We got we to know what God knows, and we got to think what God thinks about us. And put verse 17 back up there for me, Deacon. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? They cannot be numbered. God is sitting around thinking good things about you. This is what the Word says. The Bible says Jesus is always talking to God on your behalf. So Jesus is praying for us. God's sitting up in heaven thinking about good things about us, precious thoughts. He ain't thinking about what the average parent's thinking about. They're going to take me to DCF if I do that. Boy, and this kid comes home, they're going to call the law. Now, he's not sitting there thinking that. God is not sitting around thinking about how he can punish. See, here's the problem. Some kind of way, Christians got in their mind that God is some mean God sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt waiting to smite you because you messed up. That God's just waiting to punish you because you did something wrong. Listen, if that was who God was, we would all be dead and none of us wouldn't be here. 
that's not who God is. God is sitting in heaven thinking about how precious you are. See, God still thinks about you the way you thought about your babies before they started lying to you, (laughs) taking money out of your purse. He said, you know, all mamas and grandmamas, they look at their kids, just the most perfect child ever made. Just the most beautiful boy that God ever invented. And parents, they just sit and they think about how perfect and how beautiful and how wonderful. Listen, God is sitting in heaven thinking that about you. See, because you may be grown right now, chronologically in the human realm. But compared to God, we're still all just little kids. And he sits around and thinks good things about you, and you need to put that in your mind. If the rest of the world is hating on you, God is sitting around thinking good. So many good thoughts about you, they can't even be numbered. You ought to think, well, I don't deserve that. No, you don't. And neither do I. But God does what he wants to do. And what God wants to do is think good about his kids. See, we're made in the image of God. And you can see this in some parents. And it took me a while to understand how can some parents think their child is cute. How how can you think that they are advanced? She said, Daddy, she's five. She's a genius. She's a prodigy. She's brilliant. And I used to wonder, how can, and then I had my own kids. And I thought, oh, I get it now. You see through the eyes of a parent that loves your child. And God loves us. And he's sitting around thinking good things. I told you, you need to think what God thinks about you. God thinks you're awesome because you're his child and he loves you. If you've ever had a child that you love and you ever sat down and thought, my child is awesome, take that times a billion and you're getting close to what God thinks about you. Let the world think about you whatever they want to think about you. You need to think what God thinks about you. God thinks you're his child and he loves you. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God has done good things for you. You just get caught up thinking about all the bad things. If you took a sheet of paper, did the old Benjamin Franklin thing, decision-making, Leadership 101. Here's how you're going to make a decision. The Ben Franklin way. Take a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle of it. On this side, you're going to write what? Pros. On this side, you're going to write what? Cons. And you list off all the good and all the bad. Listen, if you took that sheet of paper and you wrote down all the bad things about you and all the good things about you, there'd be something on both sides of that paper. If you wrote down all the bad things that happened in your life and you wrote down all the good things in your life, most people would come up with more bad things. But I want you to start seeing goodness in your life. I want you to start seeing the wonderful works which God has done. God got you up this morning. You're still breathing. If you can see, your eyes are still working. If you can walk, your legs are still working. If you you can think, your mind is still working. You need to get your mind right and lock into a mindset of thinking what God thinks about you. Listen, people walk around and say cliches that they don't really fully possess. When people say you ask somebody, ask a church person, how are they doing? What's the right church response? 
I'm blessed and highly favored. Oh, you mean you're depressed and struggling and can't get out of bed? I feel you. I've been there myself. But we need to know that we are blessed. Not just as a cliche. We need to know that God loves us. We need to know that God's in heaven thinking good stuff about us. We need to stop worrying about what other people think about us and what other people think they know about us. And we need to be concerned with God and what he knows. Verse 11 in Jeremiah 29, he says, For I know, so God knows stuff, the thoughts that I think towards you, so God thinks stuff, says the Lord. We need to say what God says. So God knows things, God thinks things, and God says things. We're made in God's image. So we know things, we think things, and we say things. But most of the times, the things that we know are partial truth and filtered through a mind of dysfunction. Most of the time, the things that we think are clouded with weirdness. And most of the things that we say are not filtered through God's grace. So we got to change what we know, we got to change what we think, and we got to change what we say. If we want all that God has for us. God is sitting around thinking about us. He said, he said that the thoughts that he thinks of us, look, look at the end of this verse, and then we'll get into the speak part. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. God hates me. No, God has peaceful thoughts about you that aren't evil. God wants to punish me. No, God has peaceful thoughts about you that are not evil. God wants to punish me for all the bad things that I've done. See, that's wrong thinking because the Bible says God got peaceful thoughts about you and he wants to give you a hope and a future. It's going to be better if you let it. It's going to get better if you let it. It's going to change if you change. But if you just stay thinking wrong and acting like you know wrong and saying wrong, there's going to be trouble. God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. You need to say what God says about you. Number three, say what God says. Say, say. You got to say what God says about you. Now, see, I am not into this whole name it and claim it thing. I'm just not. Why? Because I got some of my best preacher friends are into that, and they're broke. Right? <laughs> and they preach that every week. And then they're asking me to help pay their car out of the mechanic's room. Well, I just call those things to be not as they Call your car fixed. Ask me for rent money. Call your rent paid. What are we talking about? I don't go that way because it don't work. And it ain't true. And God's people have been through trouble and trial and tribulation, and you just can't speak your way into, you know, perfection. But I do believe that the, the words that you say shape the emotions that flow through your brain. There's a difference. There's a whole group of preachers out there saying the words that you say form your world. The words that you say make, you, uh, make your world better. No, the words that you say make your thoughts better. Ed, don't, you can't call that Toyota a uh, Mercedes. I mean, you can, you can. It don't work. You, you can't call your mortgage paid, and it, the other way you could. It just don't work. So people are like, I don't care what Pastor Scott Becker says. I know the Bible, and the Bible says power of life and death is in the tongue. 
and I can speak it. Well, then speak it. Stop asking people to pray for stuff. If you could speak it and it happened, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need prayer. You wouldn't need any. You wouldn't need to go to work. You just speak a sack of money every day. Well, it don't work like I know. Well, I don't go with it. Power of life and death is in the tongue. Okay, well, here's the thing. I declare I will be dead from a massive heart attack in the next five seconds. God overrode his stupidity. You can't speak death on me. My grandmother didn't die because I spoke life on her. Shame on you for having an opportunity to give God credit for healing your grandmother, and you took the credit by what you thought you did. It's not magic spells out of your mouth, but it does shape your mind. Words have an impact on your emotions. You tell a kid they're stupid every day for their life. Don't be mad when they fail the SAT. We got to learn to say what God says, not as a magic spell for greed, not as a magic spell to get what we want, but so that we can be who God created us to be. What does God say? God doesn't say no I I've had preachers. I, I had lunch in Fleming Island with a man who brought a sketch drawing of the 26,000-square-foot home God had promised him with an indoor pool and a bowling alley. I'm like, who are you, Elvis? I mean, what are you talking about? God promised this to me. I said, what, what version Bible are you reading? And people have made up in their mind all these promises that aren't real. Listen, hold to the promises that you can see in the book. Now, does that mean that God can't? No, God, I believe God can speak to you. I believe God can promise you some stuff. But I trust what I read more than I trust, you know, your, your, your late-night dreams. And, and, and you're, you know, you eat too much pizza at night. You're liable to think anything happening. Here's what God says. He says he loves you. He hears you when you pray. He says that he's patient and kind. Here's what God says about you. You're my child, and I'm your father, and I will take care of you. So you need to say what God says about you. God loves me. Put that on your three-by-five card. Put that on the visor in your car. Put that on your refrigerator. Write that in lipstick on your mirror. God loves me. God says he's prepared a place for me. God says he's going to come back and get me. People stop believing that because they want to think, well, I don't deserve that. That can't happen for me. He never, never said he'd do it because he deserved it. I told you, first thing, you, you, you got to know what God knows about you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you don't deserve his goodness. He gives it to you anyway. You got to say what God says about you. Do you believe that God loves you? All through this book, God says he loves us. All through this book, God says he's there to protect us, to care for us, to provide for us. You need, you need to memorize the 23rd Psalm. You need to memorize some passages of Scripture. You need to know the Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. 
everything I need, God is going to take care of. Well, what, what if that ends up living in a ditch? Thank God for the ditch. I already told y'all, see, we got different standards. We got different mindsets because we're greedy, because we want what we want. People want to live in a mansion. If you live in a mansion, thank God for your mansion. If you live in a starter home, thank God for your starter home. If, if you live in a triple wide, thank God for your triple wide. If you live in a double wide, thank God for your double wide. If you live in a single wide, thank God for your single wide. If you live in a condo, apartment, townhouse, thank God for that. If you live in a basement, thank God for the basement. If you live in, a, in, in your mama's kitchen, thank God for, for the kitchen. If you live in a ditch, thank God for the ditch. If you live anywhere you can lay down under the sky, thank God for the place to lay down under the sky. God loves you, and he has provision for you. It just doesn't always come in your time frame, just like these people were told. It's coming. It ain't going to be today. I don't know when it's coming. I just know that it's coming, and I know that God says he loves us. I know that God says he's our father, and he's our protector, and he's our provider. I know that God said he'll never give up on us, and you need to say that. God's not going to give up on me. God's not going to stop loving me. God's going to keep loving me. God's going to keep taking care of me. God is going to get me out of this jam that I am in. I'm going to read some verses of Scripture for you. I know we're over, but let me tell you. In the end of John's gospel, after Peter messed up, Peter messed up drastically, and everybody knew it. The apostle Peter denied Jesus. He was a strong Christian. He told everybody, all the rest of y'all are going to run, but I'm going to stay by Jesus, and he was the one that denied Jesus publicly three times. Jesus dies, buried, resurrected from the dead, comes back, sits down with his disciples at a breakfast meal beside the lake, and he says in John 21, 15, Simon Son of John, this is, he's talking to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus asked Simon Peter in front of all the other disciples, do you love me more than they do? And they're looking at him. You know what they're thinking? He's around his church family. He's around all the other apostles. He's around the ones that have been mad and jealous anyway because Jesus spent all the time with Peter. He's, he, church folk want to see you fail. Listen, listen to me, African-Americans. You didn't invent the crab mentality. Church been crabbing, pulling people down forever. Don't want to see anybody be successful. They didn't want Simon Peter to get all Jesus' time with Simon Peter. How many of y'all know when Simon Peter betrayed Jesus, the other disciples in some wicked way thought, see, he ain't nothing. And when Jesus put him on trial in front of everybody and said, do you love me more than these? His answer was, yes, Lord, you know. You know. These other people might think I'm scum. These other people might think I'm a traitor. These other people might think I'm no good. These other people know I failed. They heard me deny you. They saw me run away like a coward, but you know. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. How frustrating must that have been to bring that up, to bring up the biggest shame Peter had of denial, betrayal, ran away from Jesus at the time of, of confession. When he should have been confessing, he was denying. Jesus asked him again in front of the same people, yo, dog, you love me? 
And everybody's thinking, boy, he's busting him now. He's about to call him a traitor, a backstabber, a coward, and a liar. Punk, weak, soft. He's about to get on him right now. He asked him the second time. Then in verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, same question. Do you love me? And he says Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. He is emotionally hurt because he knows what he did. He knows he denied Jesus. He knows he let the Lord down. He knows that he did wrong in front of his friends. He knows that they know his dirt. And it's more than he can stand, and he's at his breaking point. And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. So he said this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's where I want you to get in your life. Because there's going to be times where you don't love yourself. But you need to be willing to answer the Lord's question, do you love him? If somebody was to ask, you can find people right now. Ask them, does Scott Becker love the Lord? There are people that will say to his death, and there are other people who say, no, he's just a fake preacher up there trying, trying, to, trying to do his thing. You could ask people about you. Do you believe that that person loves the Lord? Jesus did not ask James, John, Thaddeus, Bartholomew. He didn't ask none of them. He asked Peter, Jesus is a right now God, a one-on-one -on -one God, a personal God. And Peter couldn't defend his actions because he was wrong. And everybody in that circle eating breakfast with him knew his dirt. So he said at his breaking point, Lord, you know everything. And I want to tell you, this passage of Scripture has been my, my comeback passage of Scripture Anytime I've ever needed to bounce back to where God wanted me to. Anytime where I'd ever had a setback. Anytime where I'd ever had a time where I thought, this ain't good. I've always had God bring me to this place. And say to me, Scott, do you love me? And sometimes my actions haven't shown it. And sometimes my friends would say different. But here's what I know. I know what Peter knew. The Lord knows everything. The Lord knows I love him. And if you love the Lord, it doesn't matter how many times you failed him. If you love the Lord, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. If you love the Lord, he knows that. See, people look on the outside. God looks on the heart. If you love the Lord, he knows that. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus wasn't putting Peter on trial. Jesus was vindicating Peter. Jesus wasn't putting Peter on blast. He knew that those other church folk were judging him. Ooh, you denied the Lord three times. You're horrible. You denied the Lord three times. You're horrible. So Jesus allowed Peter to confess him three times for a comeback. God wants to take you back to the place of blessing. But you've got to say about you what God says about you. Peter knew that Jesus knew he loved him. Jesus just wanted Peter to say it out of his mouth. 
Yes, I do. I do love you. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Jesus? See, he knows whether you do or whether you don't. You got to know what God knows. You got to think what God thinks. You got to say what God says. See, God knows I'm going to fail, but he thinks good thoughts about me. He says, I'm forgiven, and he never gives up on me. Every day, here's what I want you to do in closing. I want you to remind yourself that God knows good things about you. Because the world wants you to recall all the bad things about you. But God knows good things about you. Every day, I want you to remind yourself that God thinks good things about you. God's sitting up in heaven thinking precious thoughts about you. He knows the thoughts that he has about you. They are thoughts of peace, good thoughts, thoughts about your future. Life's not over for you. Every day I want you to remind yourself, he says good things about you. You need to say what God says. God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. God said if you call on him, he'll answer you. God said if you ask to be forgiven, he'll forgive you. See, everybody in this room is only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. Because God said if you will confess your sins, that God will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. One of the greatest things about being right with God is a feeling of being clean. Because I know what it's like to feel dirty and shame and guilt. But because of God, I know what it's like to feel clean and whole and right. And you need to feel that. You need to feel that. I could have a deep invitation right now, and I know some of you are thinking, man, I hope he gives an invitation because I, I, want, I, I want my friend, I want my husband, I want my wife, I want somebody. Listen, I'm not going to drag you down this, this aisle and ask you to come pray a prayer with me and make some decision for me. But here's what I do want to do. I want to tell you this. If you ask God to forgive you for your sins, he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you from everything. You don't need the approval of people. You don't need to prove them wrong who said bad things about you. You only have one judge. Only God can judge you. Not people, not church, not preachers, not religion, not family, not friends. Only person you need to be right with, only people, person you need to ultimately concern yourself with what they know about you is God. And God already knows you're, you're, you're a sinner. And he chooses to forgive you. Stop worrying about what other people think about you and know that God's thoughts towards you are good thoughts. He thinks good things about your future. You need to start thinking good things about your future too. You need to get out of your rut. You need to get out of your dump. You need to get out of your depression. You need to get out of what everybody has told you was all that's left for you. And you need to realize, no, God still has me here. And he says, I have hope and I have a future. And you need to say what God says. I have hope and I have a future. I have hope and I have a future. I have hope and I have a future. You need to start saying that. That needs to be your confession everywhere you go. I have hope and I have a future. And you shouldn't let anybody take that from you. Don't let evil people take that from you. Don't let voices in your head take that from you. Don't let mistakes that you've made take that from you. 
Don't let dirt that you've done take that from you. You need to think what God thinks. You need to know what God knows, and you need to say what God says. And God says that you have hope and you have a... We are not hopeless people with nothing to live for. Life is not over for us. We're still breathing. And I want you to know that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. If you're not saved, you don't have to walk an aisle and pray a prayer with me. All you got to do is ask God to save you. If you're not right with God, you don't have to serve in church for the next 10 years to get right with God. All you have to do is ask God to please forgive you of your sins, and he will forgive you of your sins. He will set you back on a solid rock, and he will put you right in the place you need to be. The Bible says that God is slow to anger, quick to pardon, and ready to forgive. See, people want to hold you to a standard. People, I don't know if they've done enough to earn my forgiveness. They don't deserve my forgiveness. God said, I'm ready to forgive. You need to let God forgive you today. Everyone in this room needs to let God forgive you today. Forgive you. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have done wrong. All of us have messed up. You need to let God forgive you. If I went around this room right now and I asked people, tell me your greatest dirt, tell me your greatest guilt, tell me your greatest shame, some folk would be shocked at who would say what. Listen, we're all sinners, the Bible says. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Stop holding other people up to a standard that you can't live up to. Let God deal with you and let God deal with other people. I want you to know what God knows about you. He knows you're not perfect, but he loves you. I want you to think what God thinks about you. He thinks you're his child, and he has wonderful thoughts about you, and he thinks you have hope and a future. I want you to say what God says about you. I'm a child of God. God is on my side. God is on my side. If you're not a Christian, ask God to save you. He'll do it. If you're a Christian and you're not where you need to be in life, ask God to forgive you from your backsliding and get back to that place of blessing. You say, well, I've tried that and I keep sliding back. Well, keep sliding forward. Sometimes you got to take two steps forward and three steps back. Sometimes you got to take five steps forward and one step back. But as long as God gives you breath, Christian, you need to keep moving. You need to keep pressing. You need to keep pushing to be the person God created you to be. And you need to say what God says about you. Say this with me. God loves me. I have a future. I have hope. Say, I have a future. I have hope. And God loves me. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for never giving up on us. Father, I pray for every unsaved person in this room. Lord, without begging them to come down this aisle, leading them in a prayer, God, I know that only you can save people, Lord. So I pray you do your work. I pray that you save the lost, God. I pray you pour your love out on every person right now that needs to experience your love in a fresh way. God, I pray you'd save the lost and restore the backslider. Draw us closer to you, God. Thank you for saying good things about us. Thank you for thinking good things about us. Thank you for knowing things about us and loving us anyway. Help us to love ourselves, God. Help us to love each other. Help us, God, to be quick to forgive so we can look like you. We want to look like you because you're beautiful and you're glorious and you're our Father. Thank you, God, for all the good things that you've done. Thank you for life. 
Thank you for this church and what we're doing in this community. God, I pray your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.